0: This is the last Sunday of Advent. I don't know about you guys, but as soon as Advent season hits, I have this certain mode like, okay, what traditional Christmas movie do you want to watch tonight? Or, or you know, what is, what is going on here? Or whose presents do we have to thing, uh, buy? And all of these different things that come to my mind. And the problem is, that we get caught up, or at least I do, I can get caught up in all the, the lights and the glimmer of Christmas and, and try to uh, get into the holiday season, which there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't, I don't want to say it, but a lot of times, you know, we sing about, you know, we want to prepare him room and we sing these songs about uh, really bringing Christ into the center of it and what, we, what we're mainly looking at is preparing room in our budgets. Can we, can we do this? Can we do that? Preparing room for the Uncle George at the dinner table or we're, we're thinking along those lines and so often we forget. So the, the old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face. This says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Can you imagine, you know, the, these lights? If you go to, the, for instance, if you go to La Salette down to Attleboro, and you see the Christmas lights, and I mean, it's a blast to go down there and see everything. Can you Can you? See the things of earth, which are the lights, will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace? So when we're looking at this, when we're ending our a time of Advent season, keeping, keeping Christ as the center and not, not getting overwhelmed or overcome or, or burdened by all the preparations for Christmas, but enjoying Christ himself. That's a freebie sermon for another day, but, uh, but we're going to look at this. We're ending our, our series on weary, a weary world rejoices. I can't say that. Weary world rejoices, right? And uh, and we want to um, look at a particular passage. We're looking at different prophetic things in this series about the coming of Jesus. Words that were spoken seven hundred years before Christ even came, in preparing for that. So we want to look at a passage today in Isaiah, chapter eleven, and. Uh, Hopefully we'll, we'll get some things that'll be helpful for us. The title of the message is The Promise of Christ. The Promise of Christ. So I wanna pray first, then I'm gonna read the passage, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for your, the preparations that you had made for the coming of your son over the hundreds and hundreds of years that this was prepared from the beginning and the foundations of the earth. Lord, we thank you for that. And we ask now, Lord, as we look at a little bit, a little piece of your word, that we will see that your promises hold true, that there's something there for us to hold on to that is certain, that is sure, and that is helpful through our whole lives. We thank you, Lord, for the the grace that is given to us. We thank you for the salvation that has been provided for us. And we ask, Lord, now that as we look in your word, you'll open it up to us to see more clearly and to love you much more. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So to start off, I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Many of you are probably familiar with this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a sign for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. OK. So let's look at, at this. Again, the title of this, "The Promise: The Promise of Christ." And I, I, when you look at promises, you, you wonder about certain things. What is a promise? A promise. It's really an assurance of something that's going to happen. When you promise something, you're giving an assurance that something is going to happen. Something is going to be done that you can rest in. It could be an expectation of that thing that's going to happen because it's promised you. It's something that we can hold on to, that we can grab a hold of that's encouraging. Now the promises of Christ are throughout the Bible. I mean, there are, there are many, many, many promises and they are very assuring and it's, they're very certain. They're encouraging, they're hope-filled, they're envisioning, they're, they're even steering, they kind of steer our lives by what the promises of God are, by what God says. God's word, scripture, is really, I, I look at it as a log book of the promises of God. There's a log book of his promises. Jim mentioned uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's probably the only verse that I can quote halfway de- decently, which is mixed up of all different versions that I've read. But it's one of those promises, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's, there's help here for us in these promises. Um, they, they fill us with hope and faith and expectation and excitement, and it helps us to live our lives. It helps us to live our lives to the glory of God, which is what we want to do. My main point this morning is the promise of Christ in all its fullness not only points us to a wonderful relationship with God, but fills each day with hope and expectation and participation in the path of life before us. So we want to look at three particular things, the first one being... God's promise is a promise. Now, I'm going to look at this passage of Scripture, and and many of you are going to stand out there and say, well, why is he bringing this up? And why is he bringing this up? What I do is I read through Scripture, and I pray a lot, and what stands out to me is what I speak about. So if I left out your favorite part of the passage, I'm sorry, forgive me, and uh, preach it next week or something. I don't know. But uh, God's promise is is a promise, okay? Um, it's not one of those promises, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye kind of promises. This is, this is I don't know if you guys ever said that. When we were young, we were very violent. So, so that's why we, we have those particular things. God's promises are much more certain and much more solid than that. And what we want to look at, because we're talking about Jesse here. Jesse was who? Jesse was David's father. Okay, So it talks about, in our passage, the stump of Jesse. We're going to be referring to that a lot throughout this message. And so it's talking about the promise to David, the Davidic promise, the Davidic covenant. And I just thought I'd read it, and it's mentioned throughout Scripture, but I wanted to take 2 Samuel 7 verses 8 through 17, we're going to look at this. And God is speaking to Nathan the prophet. And he's telling Nathan, this is what I want you to say to David. And this is what it says. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people in Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. I will be with him a father, and he shall be with me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love, listen to this, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure. Forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So we have this promise. It's a promise. Verse 16, your throne shall be established forever. And we want to gain some understanding about this. We want to get a little a little clearer purpose of this. When we're looking at promises, we're talking about the assurance, the certainty, the the encapsulation of what's going to happen, the hope that comes with that uh, being fulfilled. And when we look at covenant, when we look at a covenant, we look at an alliance or a pledge between two people. And God made this alliance and pledge an agreement with David. And God keeps his word. God's promise is a promise. God's promise is a promise. God keeps his agreement, his alliance. He keeps his pledge. It's important. This is an important aspect because this keeps us together. It keeps us focused on what God is doing no matter what it looks like around us, no matter what's going on around us. During the time when this passage was written in Isaiah, things were looking very grim. Society was getting very weary. Things were not looking good. The enemy was coming. People were going to be taken away. But as people, we need to keep looking at the promise. Now, I don't know if, if how you are with promises. I don't know how well you keep your promises or how well you receive God's promises or believe God's promises. But a lot of times, I don't know about you, but when circumstances seem to change, my viewpoint seems to change. I don't know if that experience happens to you or not. A lot of times we start to panic if things are going wrong, if things aren't going quite right, we start to worry about these things. And we'll start to say, well, uh, let's just hope for the best. And we we start to get into this, this worry mode. And it's kind of an attitude that we can get. And so what happens once our circumstances change, we can start to ride the wave of fear and worry. Have you ever done that? Have you ever rode that wave? I'm not a surfer, but, you know, if you're going to ride a wave, that isn't the one you want to ride. I mean, you want to ride a wave of, of plenty and prosperity, not, not of worry and fear and things along that line. That's not what you want to do. What we want to do is we want to realize that God is our anchor. He is our anchor. What's we'll the old him that keeps... The soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. The waves, the billows. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. That's, the, that's what we want to hang on to. That's the grounding because we have the promises of God. We trust God. No matter what's going on around us, we trust God. In our passage, change was coming. Things were looking grim. In Isaiah chapter 8, the Assyrians are starting to come in. Tribes are starting to fight with one another. Um, Because of their rejection of God, things were starting to deteriorate. Because basically, what's happening here, what we read in Samuel, is they're being disciplined. They're being disciplined because they've rejected God. And that's what had to happen. But God's promise was that he would discipline them. And he would try to draw them back together. In Psalm 106, verse 24, it talks about the people wandering in the wilderness. And it says in there, this is what it says in that passage in Psalm 106. It says, there was no faith in his promise. There was no faith in his promise. Throughout history... Because God is God, and God's promises are God's promises. He keeps his promise. But people don't tend to do that. They don't have any faith in his promise. I don't know if you're like that. If you are, we we need to grow so that we can trust God. And then we're not tossed around to and fro. Psalm 107, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. See, what happens too often is we wait too long to cry out to the Lord. We wait until there's we're such distress. We wait until things are going so poorly that we have no peace at all. And then just frantically we cry out to God. That does not mean you won't go through the trial. I'm not saying that the trial will disappear, but you'll have the peace of God through the trial. And God promises to be with you through the trial. Ah, Let's see. So he's bringing the promises of God to the nation of Israel and Judah. Judgment was coming on the nations. And how do you think the people of Israel were going to handle this? How do you think they felt? Do you think they remembered David and the promise now you have to realize, if you, if you look back when the promise of David with Nathan happened to the time of Isaiah, I think I'll be corrected about this. But I think it was over 250 years of a period of time. When you think about that, how many of you know all the details about George Washington? He had wooden teeth. Uh, that's, that's about, by knowledge, Boward's the history teacher. He knows that he wore a powdered wig, okay? And those are the things that we know about George Washington, okay? The people are going to forget when we, don't, when we don't pay attention to the promises of God. If we don't pay attention to the word of God, we begin to forget what God is doing and what is happening. And we don't want to forget. This is one of the reasons why we celebrate Advent. It's to bring everything back to the forefront so we can remember what God has done in our lives and that we can enjoy all of the things that he has done, the giving of his life for our sins. So the nation was faltering because of all of this. The nation was going to be held captive. Families were going to be separated, some taken to Babylon, some taken to Assyria. And there was a lot of scary stuff that was going to take place. So, this is what the nation was failing or facing. And then, seeing this, God brought up something about David. It was no longer the broad stretch of David's kingdom that was going to take place, there was not going to be any hope or no deliverer because all of a sudden they're talking about the stump. The stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse. It's a typical story of the nation of Israel. They're always up and down, aren't they? Isaiah ten thirty three, it was Assyria that was going to come become the fruitful tree. It wasn't Israel. It wasn't Judah. It was going to be Assyria. And the people of God was going to be cut down, a stump was going to be left in the yard, so to speak. What hope is there in that? It's a reminder, basically a stump is a reminder of what used to be there. And that's why it's put in there that way. was no longer going to be a thriving kingdom and a thriving people. See, prophets are for the purpose of causing a wake-up call. This is why prophets come. This is why God has prophets come. They sound a wake-up call. We should look at God's word the same way. God's word is prophetic. We want to look at that, and as we read it, it should be a wake-up call to us. We spend much of our year doing the things that we do, and we get caught up in our lives, and every once in a while we need to go back and have a wake-up call. We need to pay attention to what God is doing what he would have us to do. But too often we separate those things. Okay, this is my little world and this is God's little world. And every once in a while they connect, but we we don't pay enough attention. We have too many distractions. A lot of times, especially during the season, if we're supposed to be these trees that are flourishing, and in the Psalms it tells a tree planted beside the river, it's going to flourish and grow, and its roots are going to dig deep. Too often we look like a tree that's out there right now. No, no fruit, no nothing. We kind of hibernate most of the year, and then when Christmas comes, we start to warm up to the idea of God. We have more leaves on us individually in the wintertime because it's Christmas than we do in the summertime when normally leaves are out there. We're not having the fruit. We're backwards in what we do. We don't want to be like everyone else. We don't want to be like the world. We need to wake up. We need to wake up and be a child of the king. So Isaiah is saying, listen, things are going to get rough around here. The kings of David's lineage are now useless. God is comparing it to a stump, not a flourishing tree. Doesn't have extended limbs anymore. It's not laden with fruit. It's a stump. Stumps are inconvenience. I don't know about you, when you're mowing the yard and you cut down a tree in your yard and you're, you're, you have a riding lawn mower and you, all of a sudden you come up to the stump, you have to go around it. You know, it's, a, it's an inconvenience, it's a problem, it's there. It's a reminder, like I said before. I don't know if you, you've, I've told, I've told this story before. I told you guys about the time I burned the tree down, right? Some of you are going, oh, you didn't tell me that one. <laughs> Well, when, when I was a kid, you know, we, we, my parents went down to Boston and they told us, don't leave the country. OK, we lived in northern New Hampshire. N- leaving the country would be going to Canada. Well, we went to Canada and we bought lots of fireworks and stuff and we smuggled them back in. The statute of limitations has gone by, it's OK. So we had a tree in my, my parents' summer cottage. Uh, there was a tree, beautiful birch tree which burned really well, by the way, birch tree. And it had this, this hollowed out area where woodpecker come in. It was like the pride and the conversation point of our family. We would just spend hours talking about that. And every once in a while, a bird would go in there. You know, and it was just kind of a neat thing. And I thought, wow, what a great place to put a firecracker. And so I did. So I put the firecracker in there. And then my brother and his friend took off. And I was there alone. And I'm sitting there in the cottage. We didn't have TV, so there wasn't much to do. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I hear this crackling noise. And I'm going, what is that? You know, I'm a, I'm a freshman in high school. I'm going, what is that? And I go outside, and there's flames coming out the hole of the thing, and smoke is rising. And I'm going, oh, no. And of course, fortunately, we were right by the pond, and I was getting buckets of water, and I'm just... Pouring this water, throwing it in the air, finally it goes out. Thank God! And I'm thinking, okay, the the whole forest didn't burn down. I got it out. I probably should have called the fire department, but I didn't. Um, so then I had to say, okay, my parents are coming home. So when they came home, I had to explain this to them, and they were they're very very gracious and merciful. But my stepfather. Had, In the winter time, he said, okay, let's go. I said, what are we doing? He said, just follow me. And he had me cut down the tree. And that stump that was there, year after year, I would look over and it would remind me of what I had done. The stump of Jesse was to remind the people of God, you blew it, you missed out. You didn't get it right. But God doesn't leave him there. See, we don't want to stay at the stump. You never want to stay at the stump. That's just not a good place to be because eventually it rots and bugs and all that stuff. God doesn't leave you there. But it's a reminder, reminder of a very successful past when David was king. Solomon, his son, built the temple which was going to be uh, really ransacked in a little while. But now there's only a stump to remind them of God's promises. But God's promise is a promise. We want to remember that God's promise is a promise. So where's the promise in that? Let's go to our second point. The second point is the promise is in the stump. The promise is in the stump. And this is where God shines through Isaiah in our passage that we're supposed to pay attention to. Uh, let me read verses uh, 1 through 3 again in chapter 11. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. In the fear of the Lord, in the first part of verse 3, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. There's going to be some new growth here. There's new growth out of the stump of Jesse. It's not the throne of David, it's a stump. Jesse was David's father. And this is important for us to see. There was nothing special about uh, Jesse until... Samuel came along and picked David out to be king. There was nothing special about Jesse's family. There was nothing special there. That's why they're saying the stump of Jesse. That's why they're saying that this is going to be a humble beginning. This is going to be a new humble beginning for this shoot. As one being born to a family. He's of the lineage of David. But it's a humble beginning. Jesus is going to come. And he's going to be born in a manger. He's going to be born in a barn. He's going to be born as a baby. It's a humble beginning. It's a new beginning. And it's going to be inconspicuous. It's not going to be one of these, I'm going to raise a Napoleon that's going to take care of Israel. No. We're starting again, and we're starting fresh, and this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a shoot coming out. There's a promise in stump. There's something coming. There's hope for the future. There's a promise in the stump. Who would have thought there would be new, new growth out of a stump? You see it every once in a while. You walk by some old stump, and all of a sudden, you'll see something popping up there. You go, wow, didn't know that could happen. But there's a promise in the stump. See, the promise of God is not broken, mankind is broken. The promises of God are not broken. Mankind is in the weeds. Mankind needs a leader. There's a promise in the stump. If we look at the, the shoot there, it's going to branch out. It's going to bear fruit. There's going to be permanence to it. It's going to take time, but there's going to be growth. There's going to be depth. There's going to be something lasting. There's going to be a benefit from it. Trees take a long time to bear fruit. I don't know if you've ever looked at this before. I was looking up how long do trees take to bear fruit. And if you ever want to grow a persimmon tree, which I'm not sure why you would ever want to grow a persimmon tree, but it takes three to four years for a persimmon tree to bear fruit. And if you get one of those, you can keep the persimmons for yourself. And apple trees take two to five years. Pear trees, four to six years. Pawpaw trees, the Ohio banana, they take five to seven years to bear fruit. You don't want to eat a pawpaw, but uh, see, God is bringing new growth, new growth from the promise, bringing new growth from the promise, a promise that the line of David was to carry on, but it wasn't necessarily going to look the way they thought it was going to look. It was going to be fulfilled in Christ. It was going to happen in a stable 700 years later. You see, God is the one who brings new life. This is why Jesus willingly came. He willingly gave up his life for us. He willingly emptied himself and came in the form of a servant that we might have abundant life. This is why churches call themselves abundant life church because there is supposed to be abundant life for the believer in Christ. Life is available for us and we're supposed to enjoy it. So as we look at this, I wanna wanna look at the third point and I wanna read a passage of scripture to you. And I wanna kind of demonstrate something or give you a story. Uh, that will illustrate this, I think. But let's look at um, the, last, the last point is the promise is miraculous. It's a miraculous promise. Verses 6 through 9, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, nor the earth, sh- for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover Let's see. The thing is, that what, what this is saying is, it's going to be a miracle. I'm not going to get into the actual, I mean, you can get every view imaginable about what this means, but I'm going to keep this simple because it's me. God does miraculous things. God changes lives. It's as simple as that. God changes lives. He does naturally the impossible. He delivers us from things. He raises people from the dead. These are impossibilities in ourselves. Only God can do these things. He's bringing a kingdom out of something that's dead. He brings a person that's spiritually dead to life, I want to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 real quick. And I, I think this kind of says sums it up. I know it's a lot of verses. But it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is, this is what Paul is telling the Ephesians. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. It's a positional aspect of being a Christian. So that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's a miracle of God not a result of works so that no, man, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God does an incredible, miraculous work in the life of a human being. I want to tell you a story. I'm not going to... Use the rest of the message i 'm going to tell you something else last night. Well, last Monday we found out uh, a friend of ours that we went to high school with and we went to college with uh, and we haven 't kept tra- i mean we weren 't close because Roxanne's brother was very close to him, but uh, we weren't but we knew who he was, and he knew who we were. I played golf with him once, which was a, a real disaster he was so into sports, short little guy, so fired up about sports, and just, and he gave he gave me an old golf bag, which was like from the 1920s, and he made me carry it around. I was a real spectacle that time. It was the last time I played golf, but anyway. Um, but he passed away, and, Roxanne and I were able to watch, because it was down in Florida, the funeral, the memorial service was two days ago, and last night I sat down and I just watched some of what people said about this guy whose name was Dean. And if, if you were to know Dean, he came from a very, well, he came from Roxanne's neighborhood, a very poor neighborhood. Uh, he came from a very poor background. There was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of poverty. Uh, the guy didn't even in college know how to tie his shoes because nobody taught him. Um, and his father left them, his family. There were four kids in all, I think. And uh, and basically, uh, What happened is he started to become like his father. He started drinking in high school, still into sports. Uh, He was the goalie of the soccer team. I mean, the guy was incredible, good sportsman. And um, as he was uh, just getting more and more trouble, really his life, his life was a stump. There was no life in him at all. It was a stump. There was no purpose. And what he was going through. He had no vision. He was just becoming angry. He was just getting drunk all the time. And he was just trying to live life. And he was just going to become what his father was. Well, the college that we went to later on, because he he was in college just ahead of us. The college we went to later on used to send they take a bunch of guys to a church. And what they do is on Saturday, they'd start up some pickup game, basketball game or something, or soccer or whatever. And what they do is they bring these guys, these college guys that play sports, and they'd have this game and they'd beat the snot out of the, all these other local players. But then what they do is they'd invite them to church the next day and they'd tell them about God. That was what their goal was. So they had, they came up and they had this game and Dean, Dean, because it was a game, he would go and play. You know, he didn't care. So he went and played and the guy said, uh, coach, coach Peters, was the coach of the college. Coach is still alive. He was speaking at the, at the memorial service. And he, he said, he said, come to church tomorrow. We want to tell you something. So the next day came, and and uh, the service started. And who should walk in but Dean? He sits in the back. This is the miracle. Coach preaches a message. He just asks people to come up if you want to make Jesus your savior. Dean gets up and he walks down, and he never looked back never looked back. He went to college, went to Berkshire Christian College, which is where Roxanne and I went, and he, he got his degree. He didn't know how to study. He had no idea how to study, so he asked God to help him study. He ended up getting his master's degree. He ended up starting a couple of different churches. He ended up Marrying a wonderful woman, had four kids, three kids. And, uh, and he lived his life to the glory of God. There's one story where he was down in Georgia for a while. I think it was for a summer. He was doing youth ministry down there. He and the pastor shared the parsonage of the church. And every once in a while, a couple of days a week, Dean would just disappear. And the pastor's going, I wonder where he's going. And he'd just disappear for the day. And then, uh, and then he'd come back. And so one day, you know, Chet, who was the pastor, said, Dean, Dean, where, where are you going? He said, hey, why, why don't you come with me? Why don't you come with me? I'm going down to the docks. This was down near Savannah, Georgia. So they go to the docks in Savannah, Georgia. And what Dean would do is he'd wait for the ships to come in. And the, the international sailors or workmen, longshoremen would come off the ships. And they'd start a soccer game. And they'd play Soccer. So Chet goes with Dean down to the docks, and as soon as they enter in, all of a sudden everybody's saying, Hey, Dean! Hey, Dean! Everybody knew on the docks who Dean was. And Dean would get to know these people, and then he talked talk to them about the Lord. I mean, it was a gift. And he did that his whole life. Dean was a stump. He started out as a stump, all of a sudden, a shoot came forth. A shoot came forth that changed his life, that changed the course of his life, and that's what's supposed to happen in our lives. If you feel, feel, and I'll close with this, if you're a Christian and you feel like you're a stump, there's supposed to be a shoot in there. You need to reconsider whether you're even a Christian or not because there's hope in being a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you can have a shoot grow up in you. You need to ask Jesus to come into your life. That's the difference. If we're Christians and we're just stagnating, there's something wrong. We need to evaluate and see what's going on. But I want to pray for us because God has much more for us. If you're a believer in Christ, he does not want you to be stagnant. He doesn't want you to bind up your roots so the shoot only goes so far. He wants you to become a flourishing tree. He wants you to bear fruit as well because that's what Jesus does. And he wants us to be more and more like him. So let's pray. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, that a promise of God is a promise of God. It's never broken. It's always true, and we can hang on to that. We thank you, Lord, that it is not you who, save, who, who leaves us unsaved, but you raise us spiritually from the dead. Though we walked in our trespasses and sins, you brought us to new life. You brought us to a place of knowledge of you. You changed our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would revive our hearts once again to what you're doing. Revive our hearts once again. As we look back at what we were before Christians, help us to recognize that we were just stumps. And, Lord, help us to see the miraculous change that has happened in our lives. You are a miraculous God. So we pray, Lord, help us, help us, Father, to run after you as Dean did, as others have done. Lord, that's our hope and our desire. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.